start out our time uh, together by asking a, a simple question uh, that I thought of as I was preparing for this message, and it's why yellow? Let me put this quote on the screen behind me. Uh, yellow, this is according to the Color Wheel website, uh, which I never thought I would say any sermon before, but according, according to the Color Wheel website, uh, yellow is the color of sunshine. It's associated with joy, happiness, intellect, and energy. Yellow produces a warming effect, arouses cheerfulness, stimulates mental activity, and generates muscle energy. Sounds pretty good, right? You need to paint your house yellow forthwith, all right? So that sounds like all good things, right? So let me ask you a question. What are some of the things in this season of your life right now? And I want you to really think about this as we kind of get started this morning. What are some of the things in this season of your life that are bringing you joy? What is bringing you happiness and joy uh, right now? So for us, uh, for my family, we've had kind of an interesting experience that for our entire adult life, we've never really had as a family a two-day weekend. Uh, that Cheryl has always worked Friday. Friday's my day off. She's always worked Friday and I'm working um, a a chunk of Sunday. And so um, we've always just kind of had Saturday and we've always been fairly protective of our Saturdays uh, because of that situation. We've never as a whole family um, had a a two-day weekend. And so some of you know that Cheryl's um, plant that she worked at uh, closed down uh, earlier this year and now she's uh, staying home with our kids and teaching Sam and doing all that stuff. And I have to tell you something, some of you never told me this. Two-day weekend is awesome, right? Because <laughs> for the first time in our adult life, we've got Friday and Saturday together as a family, and it has been great. We're loving it, right? Never even knew what we were missing, but having breakfast together on Friday and just spending time together, having adventures as a family. This is, I was telling Cheryl this the other day, this is like one of the things right now that is currently bringing me joy and bringing me happiness and bringing me peace. What about you? What makes you happy? Uh, some of you, it's like me. It's, it's family, time with family. Uh, we're getting ready to enter into a time of you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's, we're in this fun season right now where there's always something to celebrate. And for some of you, that's really great news. Others of you are kind of rolling your eyes and mad at those people, right? Because it doesn't bring you joy. But for some of you, for you, it's traveling. It's getting away from your family that brings you joy. Uh, some of you, it's a hobby like fishing. For some of you, it's sports. We're in the like sports mecca right now. Where baseball still going on, college football, professional football, basketball's getting, that makes you happy? What is it that makes you happy? Um, a psychologist wrote a book recently uh, called The How of Happiness. I think it's just two or three years old now. Let me put this quote from the book on the screen for you. I thought this was really interesting. She suggests that 50% of happiness is genetically predetermined, 10% is due to life circumstances, and 40% is the result of our own personal outlook. So some of us, we know people that, for lack of a better way of saying it, they came out of the womb happy, right? They just were wired, wired up to be joyful and happy, and some people came out of the womb and, and were more sullen. There is an aspect of happiness that is genetic, genetically predetermined. What surprised me, and maybe it surprised you too, that according to her studies, only 10% of our joy and happiness is due to personal circumstances, I think most of us would expect that number to be a lot higher because some of us have the thought of, man, if we could just move or if we could just win the lottery, if we could just travel more, uh, then we would be happy. And the reality is that's only really 10% of your happiness is your personal circumstances. And to me, what shocked me about it was a whopping 40%. A whopping 40% of our happiness is full on under our personal control. Isn't that amazing? that you can have a, make a significant difference 
and your happiness and your joy and your color yellow, you can make a significant difference in your happiness quotient uh, just by living the right way and thinking the right things, by changing the way it's, it's full on under our personal control. And so the question is, where do we look for that? Because people are, I think anyway, more than ever before, this has always been a human nature thing, but more than ever before, we're searching for happiness and we're searching for joy like maybe we never had before. I don't know. And sometimes, here's the thing about joy and happiness. We just want to affirm this. Sometimes you don't have to look for it. It just kind of finds you, right? There are these kind of seasons of life. And some of you are in these seasons right now that are just really, they just bring you joy, right? The birth of a child, a wedding day, a family vacation. You don't have to think about like, I got to go looking for joy here, right? Joy just comes because it's something you love and it's something uh, you, you enjoy. And then there are these moments of life where it's tough and it's difficult and it feels like there is no joy and there is no happiness at all. And this is where, where I talked about this last Sunday. This is where our dashboard lights up a little bit. The red light goes off a little bit because it's in those seasons when you say, man, I'm not feeling much joy. I'm not feeling much happiness that we can go looking for. And I think that sometimes we go looking for it in all the wrong places. I've seen people look for joy and happiness in addiction. I've seen them look for it in unhealthy relationships. I've seen them make abrupt uh, life decisions that ended up kind of altering their life for a real long time. So sometimes joy comes and sometimes it feels like it doesn't come at all. And you want to know what's interesting? The Bible actually addresses both of these things. So before we get to the Psalms, I want to show you uh, two texts because the first one uh, Paul addresses is to a group of people that joy is, is, is easy for, for this group. They're just in a season of life where, where things are going really well. And here's, here's what Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. So it's like when you're in this season where everything's going really well, and uh, you would say you're rich, not just financially, but in a lot of other ways where, where things seem to be going well in that way, Paul's advice to you is, man, enjoy the blessing. Enjoy good things, but don't, Paul warns, don't let the blessing become your God right? God is your God. God is the one you follow. Enjoy his blessing, however he's blessing you. Enjoy it. That's why he did it, was in part for you to enjoy it, but don't let it become your God. And here's what happens sometimes. The blessing we are meant to enjoy becomes a God that we worship. Paul will talk about this in Romans. All of a sudden, we're worshiping created things rather than our creator. The blessing becomes the object of our, our worship. You sometimes see this with family, where all of a sudden family is, is a God that we're worshiping. Money, a job, physical health. Enjoy the blessing. Don't worship the blessing. And, and I think you can tell when you're starting to do this, when that thing, whatever the blessing is, it has become ultimate. It is the way you're making decisions. It's the way you're processing life. If it rises, you're doing good. If it falls, you are devastated. It's when that thing becomes ultimate. And you're like, I think this is going beyond just a blessing I meant to enjoy. I think this is becoming a God that I worship. And I think there are two things. And Scott hits on these at, at, at communion or at offering every so often. But I think there's two things that can really protect us from this. One is Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to talk about this later on in this series. Thanksgiving is a process that we can engage in where we're expressing thanksgiving to God that reminds us this is a blessing from him. 
that I didn't do this, I didn't make this happen, this isn't from me, this is from God. So Thanksgiving is a discipline that helps our heart and our mind remember, hey, this is from God, uh, and, and then generosity. Generosity is a discipline where I'm giving away something to remind me that this is not my God. So this is what he says to those that maybe are in a season of life where uh, joy and happiness come, comes easy, things are going well. And then uh, later on, uh, we're gonna, he addresses this. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, right? So you can see this kind of change of tone here in the sermon, right? Who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and are enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Underline this behavior if you look this up later in your Bible. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, G, uh, so James here is talking to someone in trying circumstances, a, a person for whom happiness and joy does, is not coming easy in this season of life. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, enjoy what's happening to you. That would be ridiculous, all right? He doesn't say, enjoy what's happening to you. What he says, his advice is persevere. Don't give up on God because, and here's his reason, there are still good and perfect gifts from above available to you. There is still joy to be found in God, even when it's not found in our circumstances. All right? And if you're here today and you're in this circumstance, I want you to hear that again. There is, when there's not joy in your circumstances, we need to remember this. There is still joy to be found in God, even when there isn't joy in our circumstances. All right? So he's not talking about manufacturing this kind of, I need to show up to church happy because everything's great. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, uh, you know, lie to everybody and tell them you really love what's going on, right? When, when it's bad, he's like, just pretend that you love it. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, no, switch your mindset. Going, There's not a ton of joy in my circumstances right now, but maybe, just maybe, I can find some joy in God. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is what does that look like? So if you have your Bibles, open them up uh, to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. We'll have them on the screen for you too because we're going to be in a series of psalms. Uh, these psalms that we're going to look at this morning are called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. They're Psalm uh, 120 through 134. And these were songs that Jewish pilgrims would sing on their way to three Jewish festivals in Jerusalem. And so a lot of the road to Jerusalem uh, was uh, known to be kind of uphill. So that's how these psalms got their names. These are songs they'd sing as a family on the way to the festival. And a lot of it, they'd be, they'd be walking up, uphill. And so I, I really sympathize with these young Jewish families on this because I've just got a, a family. There's four total of us. And we joke around about that when we travel, we completely uh, fill up our vehicle with stuff, right? Pack and play, toys, bedding, um, stuff for our kids, um, right? Imagine being a young Jewish family and having to travel to Jerusalem for a festival with your family. And it's hot and it's uphill and at times it's difficult and there is no DVD player attached to the side of the donkey, right? 
it's, it's terrible, right? Imagine living in this, in this situation, right? It would be hard. And so I want to use this illustration for the rest of our time together. And, and here's of, of the song of ascent, of going up a steep hill or up a mountain on your way to Jerusalem. And I want to ask this question. Here's the question. Where do you find joy in God when you're walking uphill? Where do you find joy in God when you're walking uphill? When joy seems elusive. Because preaching a message on finding joy when everything is good seems like a waste of our time because I don't need to teach you to do that, right? When your baby's born, have joy. Now, nobody has to teach you that. Now, when your babies too have joy, that's a different sermon, right? <laughs> but when your baby's born and you're full of anticipation, you, no, one, no one has to teach you that, right? Uh, when you get married, have joy. Nobody has to teach you that. It is when you are walking uphill that joy can sometimes seem the most elusive. And, and, and what the scriptures would teach us, and I want to remind you as we're getting into the Psalm of Ascent here, that the scripture reminds us, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You can still find joy today. You can find it in God. So let me show you this. This is the joy of God's help, Psalm 121. We just sang a song about this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so I love how he references the creation story here. Think about the creation story for a minute. The, the, the Bible starts with the earth is formless and void and empty. And with a series of commands, God adds structure to the earth with just a word. And then within that structure, with a word, he starts to add living creatures to that structure. And the writer of Genesis is making sure that we understand that God did everything he did with a series of commands. He created the earth with a command. He created uh, uh, frogs and dogs and, for some reason, cats with a series of commands, right? Um, he, you know, he created the earth with a command. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too hard for him. So the psalmist, as he's walking uphill, he looks up and he sees the hill and he sees the mountain and he sees God's creation and he has this thought, man, when, as I'm walking uphill, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I don't know if you've ever had a time where you're walking uphill, but when, when you're walking uphill or when you're walking up a mountain, your tendency really is to look down. You know, you're kind of just, you know, I remind Sam of this all the time. It's like, oh, this is going to take forever. This is going to take forever. And it's like, no, no, raise your head, raise your head. And there's something about looking up. And I find that that's a metaphor for this psalm, that sometimes when life is tough, you're like, Man, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And, 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 and it maybe is, but the psalmist says, now lift your eyes up to the Lord and remember that your help comes from him. So I want to remind you today, you are not on your own. You're not. Whatever uphill journey that you're on, it might seem impossible, but I want to remind you today, God is with you. He is helping you, and nothing is impossible for him, so nothing is impossible for you because he's with you and he's helping you. And unfortunately, this is one of those things that is better seen in the rearview mirror than in the windshield, you know what I'm saying? 
right? Because when you're driving in the windshield and you're driving uphill, it, it can seem rough and hard and impossible. And then all of a sudden you get past that trial and you look in your rear, rear view mirror. You're like, oh, God was helping me the entire time. I just had that experience this year of uh, my dad's wife passed away uh, back in January and she was my dad's primary caregiver. My dad has uh, dementia and uh, PTSD from his service to our country. And uh, he just has a lot of struggles. And so we knew after Tammy passed away that he was going to need, um, he was going to need some full-time care. And my sister and I are trying to figure it out. And we just kept getting turned down by facilities who didn't think they could help him or didn't want to help him. And finally, after a couple months of going back and forth with all this, um, this VA home right near my sister opened up and my dad loves it there. And he's doing so much better than he was. And it's been such a blessing to us. And I look in the rear view mirror and I'm like, oh, God was doing something the entire time. Right? They needed a space to open up at the facility. And so that's, that's why we had, he was with me the entire time. And so what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to remind myself as I'm now back in the windshield, I'm trying to remind myself of what God did back then. Because like, I don't, I don't want to lose my faith right, and lose my confidence in God. I want to remember that he's helping me even when I can't see he, he's helping me. And to walk uphill and remember, man, God is with me. I may not see it right now, but he's with me and he's helping me. Psalm 126, the joy of God's help, of, of God's hope, excuse me. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So this is an interesting psalm. As the psalmist is walking up, they're singing a song about how good God had been to Israel in their history. There was a time when they were in slavery. I thought I could have that fan off. I can't, I'm too big, right? So keep messing with the fan, I'm done, right? My shirt's whacking away in the wind, that's fine. But, um, and they're remembering how Israel had been in slavery and then there, there came a point where uh, they were released from their slavery and they were, they were able to go home. And the way the psalmist says it is, man, our fortunes were restored. And this is a reminder about how God works. And some of you are going to shake your head yes as I say this, but how God works and how life works is this way, that it won't be uphill forever. It won't be. It's not going to be uphill forever. It's a season of life. It will not remain forever. The psalmist continues. He says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the, like the streams of Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping carry seed to sow and will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves uh, with them. So one of my favorite seasons and I've seen a couple like, Facebook memes kind of mocking this, and that's okay. One of my favorite seasons of, is fall. I don't know about you, um, that I love fall. It's a time for football, chili, pumpkin, all that stuff. Um, it's that time of year I was mentioning earlier when there's always something fun to celebrate right now. And I got to be honest with you, last Monday, I was getting bitter um, because it was 90 degrees in October. Right? And I'm going, what on earth is going on? Monday and Tuesday, it was like a sauna. It was 90. And I just want to put on my sweatshirt and eat chili and watch football. And I'm getting angry, right? And then Wednesday happened, and it was like 70. And then Thursday happened, and it was like 50. And now all of a sudden, the seasons have changed. The writer of this psalm, as he's walking uphill, he's asking God to do this again. He says, God, we know what you've done in Israel. They were enslaved and then they returned home to their fortunes. God, would you do that again? Would you restore our fortunes now like you did then? God, would you change 
the seasons. And sometimes when you're walking uphill, man, you think it's always gonna be uphill and it's always gonna be hot and it's always gonna be hard and, and it's not. Someday you're gonna reach the top and you're gonna start to walk downhill to use the metaphor. Someday the seasons is going to change. And certainly on a macro level, right? If we can talk on a big theological level, this is true, of, this is our belief about eternity. That the Bible says about eternity that there's no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's like on a big, big level in heaven, the seasons have changed, right? And it's always gonna be fall there, never summer, right? So, um, I'm kidding about that, but um, that the, the seasons permanently change in heaven. But on a micro level, on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis, I believe that this is also true. Have you ever had a period of your life where something bad really happens and you have this thought, I will never laugh again, right? This pain, this pain is so severe and so hard. I don't feel like I'm ever gonna laugh again. And three, four, five months later, someone tells a joke and what do you find yourself doing? You find yourself laughing again because the seasons have changed. Or you find yourself, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna experience joy again. It's gonna be this way forever. And the psalmist reminds us that it's not. Um, and sometimes on an uphill journey, sometimes if you can just borrow this from me and allow this to give you some joy, it's not gonna be this way forever, it won't. And sometimes there's joy in that statement. It's the, it's the joy of God changing the seasons. All right, here's the joy of his purpose. I love this one too. Unless the Lord builds this house, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, you rise early. Somebody give me an amen on that, right? And you stay up late. We got up real early to bring the kids home yesterday. And I was like, why are we doing this, right? Um, Toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep, amen, to those he loves. And Solomon wrote this psalm. And Solomon is known for a couple things. He's known for being one of the wisest men that ever lived. And he's also known for building uh, the first temple, a home. He, he kind of built a home for God. And when you read about the temple, uh, man, that was a massive undertaking. When you read the Old Testament version of, of how uh, the, the, the temple was built, it's like walking uphill the entire way. And I love what Solomon says. He says, unless God is involved, the builders are building in vain, all right? Kind of interesting Hebrew word, uh, vanity there. It means empty. So he says, man, unless God's in the middle of what we're doing, all right, to go back to the temple story, unless God's involved with what we're doing, the labors are laboring in vain, right? They're, they're laboring for, for nothing. Now, with God, this is everything. With God, the temple is a place they're gonna worship. It's a place they're gonna sacrifice. It's a place where they're gonna gather together as a community. With God, the temple is everything. Without God, it's kind of just a building, Right? If God's not involved in it, if God's not there, it, it doesn't mean what it could mean. So he says, so there's a lot of ways you could go with this, but here's the way I want to go with it. Um, one kind of application of this, because we don't have time to do a ton, but what he's saying is, is that God gives purpose to the labor. Right? So, so when God's in the middle of it, the laborers labor with purpose and with reason. All right, so we, I like to go, our family likes to go for family walks. And my son, Sam, is seven. And he is not old enough to be motivated uh, by walking as exercise or uh, by walking for leisure. 
He's seven. And so if we want to go for a family walk, usually we have to supply the purpose for him. We have to give him a purpose. So the other day I said, hey, buddy, um, I'd like to go for a walk. And he goes, eh. And I said, well, I was thinking maybe we'd go out and we'd look for Halloween decorations in our community. Oh, I'd like to do that, right? I'm tricking my son, right? <laughs> Another way you could say is, you, you wouldn't want to say I'm lying to my son because I'm not, because that's what we did. I'm providing him purpose. You know where I didn't have to ask my son to walk at all? Disney World. <laughs> we walked like 10 miles a day. I never had to beg him to. I never had to get him up in the morning. He woke up at 6.30 ready to walk. Why? Purpose. There was a reason for it. And I think that sometimes when you're walking uphill and you're in a season of life where you're doing that, I think that there can come a time or a point where you pray this prayer. What is the point of this? Anyone ever prayed that prayer before? God, what, what are you doing? What is the point of this hardship? What is the point of this uphill walk? And what if I told you if God is allowing it, and I do believe that's a huge distinction, God is not the cause or the author of suffering. He allows it. If God allows it, what if I told you he surely has a purpose for it? And that your labor and your uphill striving and your difficult walk is not in vain. It's not. It's not in vain. It doesn't mean nothing. God has a purpose and a plan. And I don't know what that is, and I can't give that to you, unfortunately. I wish I could go to every person in this room and say, I think this is God's purpose for your pain. This is God's plan for your pain. That is so far above my pay grade. I wouldn't even want to dip my big toe in those waters. That is beyond me. But I know what I'm saying is true. And I know I've experienced a number of times where you are laboring and you are walking uphill and it's hard. And two or three years later, you look in the rearview mirror and you say, oh, I see what God was doing. He had a plan and he had a purpose the entire time. And I've seen this play out a number of times. Sometimes it, you have the ability because of what you've been through to talk to someone uh, that I could never talk to. And so sometimes it's a ministry purpose. Uh, so, sometimes it's a, it's a hope purpose that he's gonna use that moment to, to give you increased hope. Um, sometimes it's, it's for his glory and for his name. I, I don't know what it is. I know what it has been sometimes, but I, I, I know that God always has a plan and always has a purpose. So as you're walking uphill and you're going, what is the purpose of this? This is hard, I'm hot and I'm hungry. Right? It's hard. I want you to remember this psalm that God's building something through you and your labor is not in vain. It's not. God's gonna do something. The last thing is the joy of God's mercy, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, God, there's forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord 
for the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. And I think it is always a good time whether you're in a season where joy comes easy or you're in a season where joy comes kind of tough, I think it is always a good time to celebrate God's grace and God's mercy. I think there's a temptation when we are walking uphill to think, man, God has not ever been good to me. This life has been hard enough and difficult. God has not been good to me. There's a temptation to believe that. But the good news of Jesus reminds us that he has. You notice some of the words here. He forgives. He redeems. He shows mercy. He keeps no record of my sins. He is good. And so sometimes happiness and joy come because of a specific blessing. Enjoy those times. Worship God. Be grateful to him. And sometimes life is uphill. Sometimes life is uphill, and a chunk of 2018 has been uphill, right? Um, it, it, just, it just has been, and um, some of 2017. And so I, I know of which I speak. Sometimes you're walking uphill, and in those moments, joy is not going to come in your circumstances, but joy can come from God. There's still joy when we remember who he is and what he's done. And that's what we're gonna celebrate right now. And I do mean celebrate, is we're gonna receive communion together. And it's a reminder of what this Psalm, of what this psalm says. He forgives, he redeems, he shows mercy, he keeps no record of my sins, he is good. And so whatever your life circumstances right now, if joy's coming easy or it's a little more uphill, we're gonna celebrate right now together. Man, God has been so good to us. He has been so good to us. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, but specifically what we want to think about right now is through Jesus. He's been so good to us through Jesus. May we never forget that truth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Uh, may we never forget it. Um, man, sometimes it's easy to forget it when times are good because we forget those blessings came from you. And we start to think that we did it. And we forget about your grace and your mercy. And, and sometimes it's hard when we're walking uphill because we have thoughts like, man, it doesn't feel like you've been good to us. And, and we want to be reminded that you have. And so right now, as we receive communion, we're going to celebrate your grace and your mercy and your kindness so that, we would, so that we'll never forget it. We want to remember that you are a God of grace, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to pass communion out here. You can hold on to it, and I'll come back up in just a few minutes, and we'll receive it together.